what was our original recording deal on records? Because most people don't really know what happens behind records. What's really a producer? What's really oh. uh, well, what's really a mix? What's really, I know uh, what they called it. They the, called it a Motown deal. Okay, <laughs> go ahead, man. Just, just which was it, as you remember, which was, I'll do it, and then you do it. Which Al. was an eleven-point deal. What's, what do you mean by point, eleven points? That's that's that we didn't find out until much much later. That a point is one percent, not of a hundred percent, but one percent of ninety percent. And the basis for that was came from in the old days when seventy-eights were delivered. Upon delivery, approximately 10% of the product broke. So they paid you on 90% of the delivery. Oh, not, if you watch Boardwalk Empire right now, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1920s, those are acrylic records, yeah. really heavy, breakable ones. My father gave me a collection of Al Jolson, man, yeah. on 78s that I actually broke. They fell from the desk. And yeah. They're priceless now. I'm killing myself, you know, but they broke into pieces. And one out of 10 of those broke. In 1924. So you're not getting paid on a buck. You're getting paid on 90 cents. Records and look so like CDs, but they're bigger. So it's one, <laughs> one penny out of 90 pennies is a point, basically. Okay? Now, we had an 11-point deal, and three points went to Ted, our producer. The producer. Okay? Ted still makes more money than I do on those first two Oh, yeah, records. he makes more than all of us. But he's still Ted. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Growing Up Rock Podcast with your host, Stephen Michael and Sonny Hollywood Pooney. Now, crank it up. Hey, Hollywood, I got Elvis on my elbow, and when I flex, Elvis talks. I got hula girls on my back of my leg, and she hulas when she walks. What do you think about that, my friend? This is going to be a long show. <laughs> it's 14 years we waited for this album, and uh, it'll be a long show. Let's put it that way. 1-800-TEXT-ME-BABY. <laughs> <laughs> so we've gone almost the entire year. 12 months and it comes down to this which is the 12th and final studio album by van halen and like all the rest of the episodes we invite a special guest along he's a returning member of the family you know him you love him phil schaus is here to discuss the album and go track by track with us phil schaus is in the house what's going on phil hey guys sonny steven how you guys doing good to be back we're doing awesome we just saw you, dude. It's not like it's been forever. I know that's right. It was only a couple of weeks ago we were filming this or recording this. Rock and Pod was only a few weeks ago. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We gave away everything in the DeLorean. Now, by the time the people hear this, they'll have Christmas trees up and uh, presents <laughs> under the Christmas tree, and hopefully they're not having to wear masks. But who knows? <laughs> yeah, who knows? not even not even Halloween yet when we're doing this. So uh, yeah. Well, we had to catch you before you go on tour. So, you know, the, the musician guys, man, you guys are busy. We, we got nothing going on. We're living in our basements. We're good. First off, I am 35 years old. I am divorced. And I live in a van down by the river. 
thank God we're busy again. I've been living in my apartment for the past 18 months. So uh, thank God we're getting back out there. Uh, Ace and Alice are hitting the road in three weeks, about three weeks now. So we're thrilled that that looks like it's it's go. So Phil, by the time people hear this, it's all over. How was the Ace and uh, Alice tour? <laughs> Man, it was absolutely incredible. I got a big raise. Yes! Like, <laughs> that's fantastic it was awesome can you share the set list with us now <laughs> it was great let's talk about the cooper thing for a second though like obviously you guys you know you guys have been playing with ace for a while does cooper's management reach out and say hey ace do you want to play and you hear it from ace's management or do they show up or they send an email like how do you hear about something like that They've done shows before together. They did an Australia run in 17, I think, that went really well. And then they actually did, I think they did the Greek theater in LA in 18 or late 17, and they went really well. So they were trying to get it to work out. This was supposed to happen in the spring, a couple springs ago, actually. And something didn't work out and it didn't happen. So finally it is. And they were just trying to work it out. It's a great package. And I think two of them, they've, they've worked well together. And I mean... Really, if, if I wasn't playing it, I'd buy a ticket to this one. That's a great bill. We hear it from Ace's camp. It comes down. It's like, hey, the Alice thing is on, you know, this fall. So we hear all, all the information from Ace's camp. What are you guys getting, about 70 minutes? No, it'll be less. I'm not 100% sure. I think it's around an hour. I haven't seen a set list yet, so <laughs> I'm not really sure. But, uh, but yeah, it'll be a great tour. It's like it's just super easy. You play, and then you get done and watch Alice Cooper. You know, it's yeah. Pretty, pretty awesome setup. You know a lot of those guys in Cooper's band, right, already? Yeah, the band and some of the crew as well. So it, it, it's going to be really fun around friends the whole time. So, yeah, it's going to be great. You hoping to get in some golf strokes with Cooper while you're out there? Man, I am not a golfer whatsoever. <laughs> I, I wonder if he's going to play because it's, you know, this is, of course, this is before it's happened. And, you know, it's, it's pretty regulated for us what yeah. we can and can't do or where we can and can't go. Um, so I'm wondering if he's going to have something like a, you know, a putting green set up in his dressing room or something so he can get some, he can get some golf in because he does, he goes every day. That's awesome. And then also you, you got some dates coming up with Accept, right? We just did one outside Chicago and we may have some things in the winter and then also January and February in Europe. So my fingers are triple crossed that the situation in Europe picks up and we can actually get to do those so yeah that's the bulk of your work with except is still europe right yeah 95 percent of our shows are outside of america yeah so it's very few that we do over here so you know, i love going over there so I'm, I'm just really hoping that everything works out and i can do 2022 like i did 2019 just get home from one do laundry and then repack and go out with the next one and then do the same thing all year i i, I love doing that I thought Accept would have made a perfect opening act for uh, Judas Priest on this uh, 50 Years of Metal tour that they're uh, embarking on here in the U.S. Me too. I was really, I was really would have loved to do that. That would have been great. They have Sabaton or something, I think, is uh, their opening act for this tour. Yeah. Again, a very, very, very big European band. Right. Yeah. Now, to most listeners of this show, Phil is no stranger to the show. He's been on many times. But if we've got somebody who's just joining us for the Van Halen series or whatever, Phil Schaus plays guitar in Accept, plays bass in Ace Frehley's band, plays guitar in Gene Simmons' band, is part of the rock and roll residency. Did I miss anything in that resume, Phil? Talisman. I play a person Talisman. It gets confusing. Yeah. <laughs> You're a busy guy, Phil. I love it. I've been trying I try to say that way. Great.
It's time for the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight. So you want to tell us about the Crank It Up New Music Spotlight? Yeah, uh, we're going to do the title track from the newest Accept album called Too Mean to Die. It came out in January of 2021. One of the things that we were able to do during 2020 with those shows happening was we were able to finish the record, which was great. Andy Sneap produced it. Andy Sneap's produced everything since Blood of the Nations, which was Mark Tornillo's first record and kind of a comeback Accept record, which is a fucking awesome album. So everything's been great. It was a thrill for me to, to be on an Accept album. It's still a trip. <laughs> so when I listen to it, I'm like, oh, that's me. But it's, it was really cool. Uh, this song, I really like. It's classic, except the riff absolutely crushes. And I really love the back and forth lead section that Wolf and I do. That's my favorite stuff to do is when we do harmonies together or we do like, you know, back and forth. We trade fours or something, but back and forth, you know, twin solos. So this has a really good back and forth section and then followed by a really killer harmony section. So good guitars and good drums and good singing and good bass and everything on this one. I like it. Too Mean to Die, the title track from Accept's newest album. Check it out.
okay, for me, I'm not a huge, like, you know, new wave of British heavy metal type fan. And so except really never really hit my ears too great. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, I love that trading off solo thing, man. Chris's drums are like driving through the mix. Uh, Andy mixing the instruments so well that yeah. the, you really feel the pace of the song. So that kind of keeps it going, right? It it's, uh, it's really energetic. You can feel yeah. it's a good pace and, and Christopher's great in that, um, he has energy, but he's not rushing. He's a very pocket drummer. He's 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 laying back, but it's still in a driving thing. And it's just the way he plays and the way Wolf plays really, you know, goes together. Well, Wolf's got an entire, you know, unique style of yeah. how he picks, how he writes, how he plays a riff, how he, you know, all these things. And it's cool to try to match that because you have to try to match it when you're playing live and, you know, try to get it as like as tight as you possibly can. But it's also cool bringing your own you know bringing my own thing in there a little bit too not just trying to sound like you know wolf but you can tell who's soloing and who's not it's like okay that's wolf that's not wolf that's wolf (laughs) and you said classic except and i've not heard a bunch of except again because it's not i'm just super fan i will tell you when i listen to this song today i'm like oh that's not just like 1985 when i heard him like it's it's classic i guess because it sounds the same to me yeah, it has all that. And Mark is, you know, his own singer does that thing that Udo did. You know, he does it so well, but he can actually really sing too. Mark's an awesome singer. Yeah, it really does. I think it's still cool how Accept still writes and they still have the, well, the thing I like about late 70s metal, like Priest and, you know, Accept and things like that, is it still had all this rock and roll swagger. It wasn't just like, you know, it wasn't like just cut and pasted bass drums. You know, it was like it had, you know, you can move your shoulders to it and it had a lot of rock and roll attitude, like all British steel and hellbent for leather and all that kind of period of late 70s, early 80s metal had that. And except still has that in their new records, which is what my favorite thing is like you can still almost kind of dance to some of these songs. They haven't gone totally, you know, modern metal robot. You know, it still has a lot of swing and a lot of swagger and attitude still in it. I am an old school except fan. I came in on Restless and Wild and Balls to the Wall and Metal Heart. That's my meat of except fandom right there. And this record for me is probably the closest post-Udo record where I think that you guys have done a great job to capture the newer and sort of that older except sound. I really, really like this new record, and I love the Teutonic Terror is back with a song like this where you guys are trading off uh, licks like that. I really, really enjoy the song. I really enjoy the record as a whole, Uh, and it's gotten a lot of good feedback. I see a lot of people in the the chat rooms and stuff uh, talk about it. So uh, Yeah, the the fans liked it. It sold really well. It like hit number one in all kinds of countries when it came out, and there's a lot of really positive, positive feedback. So now all you got to do is be able to get out there and support it. <laughs> I know, I know. I hope, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. No doubt. All right. Well, let's get into this discussion. Please make sure you subscribe to our podcast, Growing Up Rock, and leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a like and leave us a comment on Facebook at Growing Up Rock. So Phil, tonight we're talking about a different kind of truth, the 12th and final studio album from Van Halen. What's your history with this particular album? When this album started being talked about, like they were recording, you know, with Van Halen, there was no news ever 
like during this period. It was a really hard time to be a Van Halen fan because you never knew what was going on. There was only rumors. Nothing ever happened. When it got confirmed that they were doing a new record, I was so excited. I hadn't been and I haven't been that excited about a, a new record being released. It was like I was like in junior high again. I was just thrilled. Yeah. And, and I had, like you guys probably too, I had the Warner Brothers demos. I had the Gene Simmons demos. I had all these Van Halen, Van Halen obsessed at this point. I was already doing the Van Halen tribute band and everything. So when I heard what they were doing, they were going back and kind of revisiting the old demos. I was like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. It's like, what a great idea. Everybody wants their favorite classic bands to put out albums that sound like the classic albums. Right. And this is exactly what they did. I was thrilled. And me and Jeremy, uh, Jeremy Asbrock, we would like trade information. We'd wake up and like, he'd say, have you heard this? Have you heard that? You know, we'd, we'd trade information, news that we heard. And then things started getting leaked. I mean, it was just, you know, it was, that was a great time to be a Van Halen fan because, you know, it, things were coming out every, every week or so. And it'd be like a, a 30 second clip of this. And we'd go, oh my God, that's, let's get rocking. Yeah. You know, they're doing that. And yeah, I was just so excited when it got confirmed that they were doing this and the theme of the record. And yeah. And then when it came out, I was, I loved it. And I was on the road with Rodney Atkins with the last country gig that I had. And I guess, I think it came out in the summertime because I remember we were, we were gone like all the time. Mm -hmm. And so me and Judd Fuller and Liam Bailey, my bandmates, we would stay up and pound box wine and pound beers and sit up in the front lounge and sit in our, with our driver, Joe Delero and listen to this thing on loop, like just over and over and over again. And we were just like, sit there, just talk about it. Like, Oh my God, these guys are in their sixties. You know, it's like, this is, <laughs> it was amazing how progressive and how cool it was. But yeah, it was a really fun summer for this to be released. And yeah, it was just, just killer. I, I, and this one gets as many spins at, at home as any of the other Van Halen records do. I really, really love it. Well, you know, it's interesting. The one thing that you said is how excited old school Van Halen fans were when they found out they were digging into the archives and trying to rework some of these things. And it's something, if you're a real true Van Halen fan, you know that this is, this is the method of their madness. They've done that from day one yep, on absolutely. all their albums. Yet, that was one of the things that critics really beat them up on with this album how oh they just all oh, they got nothing left in the stall they just reworked a bunch of old songs and i'm reading these reviews and reading this information i'm going do these people even know the first thing about van halen like they've always done that they've got yeah. songs going back to before their first album that showed up on 1984 like i yeah. i don't understand what people were thinking when when they tried to kind of shove that off as a problem and i'll get into some of the basic uh facts about this album uh real quick so this album actually was released in february of 2012 so you may have been on the road in the summer maybe that's when you were hearing it but it got released february 7th 20. 12. It was recorded at 5150 Studios and Henson Recording Studios in Hollywood, which was a Dave request. Dave wanted the band to get out of 5150 for a while and maybe move stuff over and do some recording there at the studio that he had been recording at for a long time. And I guess... I guess they humored him because from what I understand, they recorded a lot of the stuff there at Henson Recording Studios. Uh, the band would record during the day together, and Dave would come in at night and record his vocals. 
Uh, length of the record is 50 minutes and 12 seconds. The label is Interscope. There was a sort of a bidding war going on to get this record, as you can imagine, from a lot of different labels. And for some reason, Columbia was in the running, but Dave refused to sign with Columbia. I don't know what the story is there. I don't know if he had a bad uh, situation with uh, some executives there at Columbia. Who knows? But who knows what his reason was for that? Seriously, who knows? Yeah, but he refused to sign a contract at Columbia. So they ended up signing a record contract with Interscope and uh, the head guy there. I can't, his name's escaping me right now. Producer Van Halen and John Shanks. John Shanks is typically was known for, I think he had done a lot of work with Bon Jovi more recently. He plays with Bon Jovi. He's kind of in Bon Jovi now. He plays guitar. And he produced and wrote a bunch of stuff with John, the later Bon Jovi stuff. But also he had uh, worked with a lot of pop artists uh, leading up to this Van Halen record. So people were a little bit worried that that was going to be an ugly uh, combination. But seemed to turn out all right. Overall, the end of uh, 2021, it had sold 411,000 copies, which, I mean, this is the age of uh, no more record sales. So it didn't hit gold, which isn't necessarily a surprise, you know? The cover. So the cover artwork was designed by Los Angeles-based firm Smog Design. This is an advertising agency following a concept that was sent in by David Lee Roth, The image was picked by the co-owner of the uh, ad agency featuring a New York Central Railroad steam locomotive photographed by Robert Yarnell Ritchie. He chose it because Ritchie's angle on the photo makes it look like uh, the locomotive is in motion and coming off the page. Aside from the reversed angle, the artwork shares similarities to the 1975 Commodore's album Moving On. I went and looked at this album, damned if it doesn't look just like it. Oh, funny. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Dave knew of that record, too. Yeah, absolutely. It just makes no sense, though. Like It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's a strange choice. I agree. I mean, you know, Dave's a huge R&B fan, but you could basically do anything you wanted to, and that's what they went with. And, I mean, it's okay looking, but it is... It is very much that Commodore's record. And I'll tell you, the record that just got released that looks similar, reminds me a lot of it, is Dennis DeYoung's Volume 2 record has the locomotive coming at you. I think it's Volume 2 or Volume 1. One of those two albums that Dennis DeYoung recently released uh, reminds me of that a little bit as well. The inside of it has a booklet, uh, which is really nice, that has all of Dave's handwritten lyrics for the record, which I think is kind of cool. Regarding the title, Eddie states that he liked it because there's always their reality of what other people think, and there's just the different kind of truth, which is the real truth. And so that's where the title came from. So what do you think about the album cover, uh, Phil? Yeah, it, I agree with Sonny. It's weird. It was It really, I, re- I just realized when we were talking about this, that the, their, the live record that they put out is a big boat. Uh-huh. It's like so they have this big transportation vessel concept <laughs> for, for these for those two records for some reason. So yeah, it was um it's not one of my favorite Halen covers. It's an odd choice. I guess Dave used that as his the impetus for his stage persona on this tour where he was had the little conductor's hat and the you know the <laughs> I guess that's where that came from. I don't know where any of that came from. But yeah, it was a it was kind of like a oh, okay. 
<laughs> and then play it. You know, it's like, oh, this is a great record, but the cover was, uh, yeah, it's strange. What's your thoughts, Sonny? Uh, yeah, it makes no sense. Uh, at least they don't have to worry about getting sued. Because I don't know if you heard, but Nirvana, the baby, is now suing. That was on Nevermind. Can you believe that? Yeah. Can you believe yeah. that? I saw some stuff back and forth, and and that's hilarious. I don't know the full story. I just saw some various posts. But my guess is that they would have had, whoever got that picture would have had to have signed a release. So this this kid's got no chance at, at uh, uh, yeah. winning anything. He's got nothing. <laughs> yeah, so the album cover's a little weird. The lyrics. Dude, if this is Ross handwriting, he's got really purdy handwriting. Yeah. I'm telling you. Like, this is... If I wanted to write like this, I would have to slow down to a crawl to yeah. write this nicely. That's like, yeah, yeah I, I was reading it like, wow, this is like reading Gene, like reading Gene's handwriting. Gene's handwriting is great. Yeah. Like yeah. that. And it's like, wow, he's got... I can read all this. Mine's like a doctor's handwriting. Yeah, and if these are his doodles... The doodles are kind of cool, too, if they're his, because I can imagine mm -hmm. while you're being creative that you're just kind of sitting there kind of doodling in different fonts all the time. I'm sure some of this is kind of printed in, but the way like Chinatown's written, I can imagine that kind of happening during a doodle. Yeah, his Instagram is all his art. It's really, well, besides the 18 pictures of him flipping Gene off, um, <laughs> all, it's all art, and it's very... It, it, it looks like that. So it, that's obviously his stuff, but it's very cool. It's just all very, very Dave, but yeah. it's a very cool Instagram account. He's a very interesting, eccentric, creative person. I think he's the most interesting man in the world. I really honestly do. I think he's like the Dos Equis guy. He's got nothing on Dave. He is the life of parties he has never attended. If he were to punch you in the face, you would have to fight off the strong urge to thank him. Sharks have a week dedicated to him. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer those Zaki's. Stay thirsty, my friends. He's just fascinating. He's and he's always he's always always has been. He's always been this just very very unique character. Yeah, and I think he got afforded that right because you you come from you're kind of a outspoken guy to begin with you obviously got the way with the ladies got this incredible stage persona so you kind of live your younger younger years just kind of living off of that then you get in this band and it hits so big so fast that the money rolls in to where you can be anybody you want the rest of your life yeah exactly and it's like hey this worked well i'm gonna turn it up now you know it yeah. work. he was absolutely the the greatest front man uh, uh, i think ever had you know these you know no instrument except for you know ice cream man but nobody did that the way dave nobody had absolutely hand had the crowd in the palm of one's hand the way he did it was unreal he would walk out like this like in 83 and 82 he was doing this he would do jack benny routines as jack benny used to walk out the comedian walk out in, a, in where he was playing and he for the first 10 minutes of the show he would not say one word he would gesture and he would do you know the jack benny you know that stuff and the crowd would be in hysterics rolling down the aisles laughing that's what dave would do when like the band would walk off and he'd come back on and he'd kind of stand there and do one of this somebody <laughs> yells over there and he reacts to it and then he turns around and nobody behind him acts like he's going hey will you look at these guys nobody's back there mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's and he does it and he keeps on doing it until he's by himself and he's not said one word and the entire arena is on their feet mm -hmm. like he was an absolute genius entertainer 
like the likes that Rock hasn't really seen. He was so Vegas. He was so Rat Pack. He was so vaudeville he was so vaudeville acts absolutely he was all of those guys Mm -hmm. and and i think a great singer you know to listen to him tell some of the stories and some of the adventures that he's gone on i mean he he has spent the last 25 years of his life really just diving himself into education and spending time in japan and and just really he's I think you're right. I think you nailed it. He really is one of the most interesting individuals on the face of the planet. He's yeah. He definitely would make a good spokesperson for them. Yeah, and and just what a dinner guest. I yeah. mean, you wouldn't have to say anything. You just listen to Dave talk the whole time, you know. And you just, you know, and he's a great storyteller. Um, his book is fantastic. It's out of print, but you can get it on eBay. Is the the book is just wonderful. It's like you know, he just, when he'd go mountain climbing, he'd go to the Amazon. He was always doing these things that, that, you know, rock, you know, pop, you know, big pop stars and rock stars weren't doing. But he always bucked that, all that stuff. He's fascinating. His fortune cookies simply read, congratulations. Skinny dipping was his idea. He can slam a revolving door. He is the most interesting man in the world. He was on uh, Joe Rogan not too long ago. I think he did uh, three hours with Joe or something. And uh, I recently listened to that podcast. At a, I listen to most of my podcast at a high speed. It's a little bit tough to listen to Dave at a high speed because Dave already is in high gear sometimes. But, you know, I enjoyed it. It's just interesting to hear and try to decipher exactly some of the stuff that uh, Dave is saying. I love it. It's funny because it's like three hours of him leaning in the microphone and go, Joe, let me tell you something about show business. Show business is like a hockey game. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? But it's just, he's, but then it's like, oh yeah, you're, you make total sense. He's uh, yeah, it's what a guy, what a guy. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Sonny, I forgot to ask you, what is your history with this record? Yeah. My history is a little bit different. I'm a Van Halen fan. I'm not a super Van Halen fan. So if you, if you kind of rewind the clock here, I'm getting into Van Halen when I'm 15. That puts it at 1984. By the time Balance comes out, I'm 25. By the time VH3 comes out, I'm 28. And by the time this comes out, I'm 42 years old. So, you know, I know it's shitty to say, but I got other things going on. Like the last thing I was thinking about was Van Halen because Van Halen wasn't in the news and they weren't doing anything. Right. So I kind of lost my taste for it. Then in 2011, there was all this hubbub about, here comes a new album. Here's come a new album. I'm more of a same guy anyway. So I'm like, really, Dave? Okay, whatever. I bought it the first day, but it wasn't like I was listening for everything that was getting leaked, blah, blah, blah. Because honestly, same thing with Guns N' Roses. It just took too long. And you can't have fans that are not going to be super fans wait that long and then still expect them to be there. And that's why it didn't go gold. I think you released this album 10 years earlier. It goes gold, not just because people don't buy product anymore i think it's more because you can't just go dormant and nobody hears from you and then you expect people to still be there I, I just i think that's tough well Sonny, what i heard and all that is that you're 42 and i was 45 and i was still excited about it do you think i don't have nothing going on yeah you got nothing better to do number one <laughs> and you're a super fan right so i would have been this way with kiss i would have been this way with anything that was hauling oats right i'm looking at those websites trying to figure out what's going on and I'm not doing that with Van Halen. Yeah. I think the, the first single was uh, Tattoo being the first single, I think, was a bit 
maybe not the, the best choice. Uh, excuse me. Some folks got kind of turned off by that one. And then just, yeah. just wasn't kind of like the release wasn't managed quite well. And I think it could have, I think it could have done better out of the gate. Well, I think that's a perfect segue, Phil. And we're going to get into this record track by track, starting with tattoo Sonny, Take it away. Yeah. So I'm um, talking about a old song that comes back. Uh, old song was called down in flames. I didn't know that beforehand. So exactly like uh, Phil just said, okay, so I hear the first song. I'm like, well, that's very Tom Jones, Las Vegas. That's Van Halen now. Like, this is what we get now. Now, as soon as Eddie comes on, I'm like, okay, Eddie's got it. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. No Michael Anthony. So that means all the high harmonies are gone and you could almost feel it right away. Phil, did you feel the same way? No, I, I liked it. Um, this song was a weird first track. I think it was a weird one to open this open. The, I like it more now than I did when it first came out. Then, you know, the riff kind of got in my head and then I knew it was the older song. I did like, I thought the, all the harmony work on the whole record I thought was good. I liked it here because without this record would not have happened without Wolfgang. Without Wolfie, we got four tours and an album. Because, I mean, that, the, the reason Dave got back in the band was because Wolfgang was like, Dad, this stuff is really good. You should get this guy. We should play with this guy. So it was his idea. And I do like the arranging, I think, is good. And I do dig the, har the harmonies. And Tattoo's got good harmonies, too. And the solo's, you know, the solo's good. And weird first single, I think. But it's a, it's a good album track. Maybe not a lead-off track, you know. Stephen, 14 years you waited for this, especially if you punted at VH3. Is this what you wanted to hear? No, it is not. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be honest. So when I first heard this song, I wasn't a huge fan of it. I didn't hate it, but I didn't love it. I'll be honest though, this song, for whatever reason, over the years has really aged well, meaning that I like this song. 
a whole lot more than I liked it when it first came out. So I'm a little bit like Phil in that way. I had no idea that this was down in flames because at the time this record came out, I didn't have the Warner Brother demos for one thing. I didn't know every in and out of some of the old material. So uh, I did not know this was an old tune at the time. And I do remember seeing the video and I did enjoy the video because it looked like they were having a good time together. I miss Michael Anthony's high background vocals, although the the vocals sound fine. Wolf did a fine uh, job as far as backgrounds. It just doesn't have that high register that, to me, was very signature of the Van Halen sound. Can- Michael Anthony Cannon, that Cannon voice, yeah, it's crazy. It's, I mean, it's it really is. That is part of their signature sound. It was Absolutely. Dave's vocals, Eddie's guitar and his guitar tone, and Alex's snare and uh, Michael backgrounds yeah and what's what's cool is this song tattoo ends with the the guitar of the the volume swell guitar which is the beginning of you're no good from van halen 2 but that was the beginning of down in flames that's cool i didn't know that yeah that's how down in flames started was the that part and fun fact about down in flames the show in 79 in nashville when van halen opened for black sabbath and ozzy got lost went to the wrong hotel and van halen played the whole show they played down in flames because they had to they were out of, out of material and there's a you there's youtube audio out there on youtube from that show of them doing down in flames that's awesome all right so the second song she's the woman all right phil now we got a better pace this probably should have been the single right they should have flipped these two on the album this should have been number one tattoo number two uh, yeah she's the woman is pretty much just like almost just like the demo but the middle section of the original demo was ended up going into Mean Streets. Yeah. So they had to rewrite a new part, which is absolutely fantastic. I love that part so much. It's so progressive. It's so Van Halen to insert like this super heavy progressive guitar solo section into like a swing song. And it was so great. And I, I love, yeah, the vocals are great on this one. I love this too.
Steven, a little low on cash, but I'm high on luck. Oh, I want to be your knight in shining pickup truck oh, is Dave the whole way. Yeah, I love that. It's freaking great, man. I love this tune. Yes, this is probably just this got me excited. So I got through Tattoo. I got to this song. I was excited about this song. I saw him perform this song, not in person, on on video. I saw him perform uh, this song at the Cafe Wild shows that they were doing. And uh, and I was like, yeah, man, this is this is awesome. This is really good stuff. And and yeah, (laughs) you got to love Dave's lyrics. I mean, this has that groove, that Van Halen groove that I just I dig so much. So third song, which is a new tune, You and Your Blues. Phil, this one sounded Van Hagar to me. The riff sounds Van Hagar. Yeah, to me it does too. This would have th- th- fit in that that kind of period. Yeah, I love this one. It's not one of my top ones on the record, but yeah, I, I dig all of it and dirty middle section. The, the vocals are cool. Yeah, not one of my top ones off it, but I, I dig it. But you're right. It's, it sounds like a, a Hagar era. Ain't no red house over yonder. No stormy Monday waits for you uh, Ain't no midnight dream in Georgia And I'm not looking for the truth And I tell you what I'm getting rid of next You and your blues Yes, I am Your bad news Steven, I was thinking Dave shouldn't do Sammy songs because I got to admit, he was struggling vocally on this song. Yeah, there are a few songs throughout this record where you can tell he's really straining his vocals. What I do love about you and your blues is I really love the pre-course and the bridge 
that woman, ah, that part. Yeah. I really dig that part. That makes this song for me. And yeah, the beginning part, I, I totally get what you're saying as far as the Van Hagar feel, that beginning muted kind of ding, 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 ding. That's very Van Hagar sounding to me. But I, I dig this tune. This was one of the songs that stood out for me when I first went through the record. Uh, so I, I liked it. Yeah, I like the back and forth, the, like the answer background vocals, the... 13th nervous breakdown yeah breakdown. yeah that's, that's great yeah <laughs> i like it when phil sings better steven stops singing <laughs> <laughs> yeah but phil can actually sing so that's <laughs> not very fair <laughs> all right so the four song chinatown here is where i first noticed all right wolfie deserves a seat at the table and there's you know he's keeping up with alex which ain't easy to do uh, Phil, had you noticed Wolfie before Chinatown, or is this the song you noticed him to? Man, I saw Wolfie's first show ever. I saw him on the first show in 2007 with Dave Back. Yeah. Because I, I had to go to the first one because I didn't know if they were going to have a second one. <laughs> Seriously. I was like, we're going. And it was in Asheville, North Carolina, so it was an easy drive, six-hour drive. And I was like, we are, we're going to this show. So, yeah, I knew he, and he was good. He was 16 on that show, and he was good then. So he just got, it was like, well, he's gonna, he's, he's a high school kid, you know, playing the, these tunes. He's going to be just fine. This one definitely is the first one on this record that kind of showcases him. I really like his bass playing on She's the Woman, too. He plays uh, just a great, great line without. This is just on fire. Chinatown is like a song in the hang em high vein. And just those just like, you sit down and you just listen to it and you're like, you're exhausted by the end of it. You're like, how do they write that and play it together? This is amazing. Just killer. The solo section is just insane. Just the beginning, the ching, 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 a complete classic Van Halen. I listened to it last night and just had the same sitting there going, these guys are in their 60s, you know, and just playing this progressive heavy rock, you know. And it was what was so cool about this was, you're doing all the solos, you know, Eddie, like all guitar players has some licks that he'll always do. Right. And you've, I've seen them all. He has these big wide stretch patterns. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's from that new stuff on this. He, so it's like, he's still this far into his career, this old 12th album, you know, 40 years, he's still pushing boundaries and he's still coming up with new shit to do and new shit to play. So this one was one of them. Like, okay, man, he's still Eddie fucking Van Halen. You know, it was, it was a big one. I love this tune. Chinatown. 
Yeah, Stephen, I love this tune, too, and I want to get your thoughts, because you know what? I'll tell you honestly, I don't love this whole album, but I would take 13 Chinatowns right now, because I think it was a great song. (laughs) So Chinatown, for me, was interesting, because like Phil said, this is the song that you hear and go, okay, this is new to Van Halen's repertoire, because it sounds like, really does sound like a progressive thing. I don't know what it is, whether it's the effects he's using. He's using like a doubler or something, right, Phil? I'm trying to think. He probably didn't. He may have double-tracked it, but Eddie didn't double-track a lot. And this one has been especially cool because when it gets to the solo section, it's just those guys playing together. There's no rhythm guitar. And Alan Wolfie, and that's it. So this probably had maybe like a stereo effect when he cut it, but I don't know if he did two tracks. That's kind of, this is kind of a complicated there are a lot of notes going on, a lot of intricate parts. He may have just done it once, had a stereo effect. And the the patterns that he's using, the notes that he's playing are weird sounding patterns to me. They don't uh, hit my ear completely like straight on. <laughs> They're all over the place. It's always a little angle that it hits you like that. It's like, wow, that's odd. That's different. But you know, so cool that they can still do that after that many years. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting tune for sure. And the lyrics are the lyrics are a little dark on this song. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Dave is definitely channeling his love for Japanese history and things like that. But the lyrics are I read the lyrics today and I was like, OK, well, that seems like maybe they're a little bit darker than normal. But yeah, interesting tune for sure. Yeah, it's cool because you have stuff like we've talked about them going back to the beginning. But then you've got stuff like this. Yeah. So they've got like stuff like it's like, oh, yeah, that's stuff from 77. And this is like, well, this is from the future. Yeah. You know, it's so cool how they on both on this record, they had both those type of tunes. Agreed. So the fifth song, Blood and Fire. So this one was interesting to me, Phil, because we know that it's coming from the wildlife soundtrack. So we know it's an Eddie piece. But I swear to God, that lick sounds like crazy from the heat, Steve Vai. So it sounds more like David's solo stuff. So I'm confused. Help me. I just recently saw a YouTube clip, I think, of Ed in 1980 during his live guitar solo playing this. So this has been around since 80, this little guitar thing. And I'm not sure what the what year was the wildlife. 84. 84. Okay, yeah. So that stuff and uh, other stuff came from that movie. Like, not on this album, but other stuff too. So yeah, that little intro had been you know, laying around for a while. But yeah, you're right. Crazy from the Heat does have that same kind of feel. Totally yeah. does. Yeah. What'd you think of the song? I'm not in love with the chorus too much. I loved it. This one to me is is so Van Halen. It's just so great. It's I love the fact that like they kept a lot of the wildlife sound. Even Al's like snare is off on purpose the way he brings it in and then flips the beat to where it feels good. They kept that in there. Yeah, I've loved this one. Just because it's so Van Halen. And this this is so that period of Van Halen. Like, you know, early 80s, this could have easily been on Diver Down. Mm -hmm. You know, it it was like a more of a cleaner tune, like secrets or little guitars and things like that. We're going to get a little bit cleaner tone. This could have easily been on any one of those records. This is one of my favorite ones off the album, actually, for that reason alone, that it's so early 80s feeling, you know. Starting line I'm a lucid vision Don't be a forgiven I'm 
Yeah, Stephen, the song didn't work for me a ton. I like the breakdown and the changes of pace, though. That part worked for me. How about you? I like Blood and Fire a lot. I will second everything that Phil just said. And the one thing Phil didn't say and what I think Phil was trying to say is summer. This song feels like summer. Totally. Just like a lot of the stuff on Diver Down, it's very, it's summer. This was nicknamed Ripley because when Eddie did this song, he was messing around with those Kramer Ripley guitars, the stereo guitars. You remember those, Phil? Yep. Stereo, because he had um, every string you could assign where it went. Correct. Pretty crazy. So yeah, there's actually a Ripley demo of um, right now. Also around the same time and that like when he was doing those. So early eighties he already had and right now is definitely morphed into the piano tune. It, you can't like hear it and go, Oh yeah, that's it. But it's reminiscent of it. But yeah, he was messing around a lot with those. Yeah, so I, I dig blood and fire. So a little story that I had heard <laughs> talking about some of the Dave's solo career. So I guess in nineteen ninety, Fox Network, I don't know if you guys know the story, reached out and tried to get rights to just like Paradise. Okay. And they had an upcoming teen show and Fox wanted this, uh, the song. So they reached out to Ross manager, Ross manager declined the offer without telling Dave. Okay. The show was Beverly Hills. 90210. Do he missed out on millions because of it? No, I had no idea about that. Wow. He fired his manager. I don't know, but yeah, supposedly the instrumental that they ended up putting together, it's a sound alike to just like paradise. Yeah. It sounds just like paradise. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, okay, whatever. Wow. Yeah. That's I didn't not, know that. That's crazy. Yeah. Oops. All right. So the sixth song, bu- 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 Bullet Head. dude come on it was this one this one is pretty much verb except the vocals it's pretty much verbatim the demo this is one of the ones from really early um like 77 76 it even starts the same way the guitar like scream thing and and from like the gate just takes off reading most of the vocals but yeah this one is i love this one and they really i was amazed that they did keep it as the same as they did from back then it's super heavy it's like one of the it's like you know light up the sky kind of you know, one of those driving heavy rockers, heavy metal Van Halen when they got, you know, when they got heavy metal. Yeah, Stephen, this here's an example of, all right, so you got this great piece of music from 77. You don't have really anything written to it. And you kind of forced this square peg of lyrics or melody you're trying to do into a round hole. That's why it doesn't completely work for me. How about you, Stephen? 
Yeah, it is very heavy and it's very chaotic. It's from 77. It doesn't 100% work for me. I get some of it and some of it reminds me of some of the stuff like maybe Lost Control or just kind of that frantic stuff from that era, but it's not one of my favorites on the record. I'll say that. I don't hate it, but it's not one of my favorites on the record either. Yeah. I mean, I think it's about bad driving, I think is what it ended up being about. I don't, <laughs> which I think was a newer, I think he did redo all, re- rewrite all the lyrics for all these tunes. I literally think it's about road rage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It feels like it is. It's, it's a, it's a definitely an angry tune. So halfway through the album, next song is as is, which is basically a new tune. You know, the, he had played around with a riff on a, episode of two and a half men i love two and a half men so i had actually seen that but phil it kind of feels like alex has decided to hit every drum he owns at the same time like a little weird right yeah and i it's one of those songs where um, when a song starts off with like by itself like the guitar and then you count it wrong and the drums are flipped i cannot count this one right it's like i always hear it coming it's it's like those two guys where they hear uh, meaning eddie and alex where they hear the one is totally like backwards for me sometimes. I have the hardest time keeping it straight. I really like this one. It's one of the really progressive tunes. Talk about heavy and out there. Very cool lyrics. I think it's his Dave's delivery of the lyrics is very cool on this one. Kind of doing the low talking kind of thing, which I love when he does that. But yeah, this one I really dug. It was totally new apart from the Two and a Half Men thinks so It was a newer tune. And the ending, the fade out, when the guitars build, and it has that really high pitch to sustainer stuff. I love the ending of this too. Yeah, I like this one a lot.
Stephen, this feels more like modern VH. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I'd agree with that. A little progressive. Uh, it's not a bad song. I kind of dig it. I like uh, some of the lyrics in this song. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely got a lot of Dave personality, like Phil said. There's a lot of that speaking sort of stuff that Dave does. So, yeah, it's not bad. It's got the line, I've been rich and I've been poor. Rich is better, totally better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like nobody knows this. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that line. All right. So the A song, Honey Baby Sweetie Doll. You know, for all the letters and words that are in the title, Dave basically talked through the whole song. Just, I guess yeah, he couldn't figure good. out a melody. I don't know. Yeah, this is really, there is no melody. He just spoke. This is one of my ones. I, I, I dig it, but not one of my top ones off the album. But it's obviously a newer written song. You know, I've yeah. never heard anything of this before. Yeah. Did you think, uh, Phil, that it was, does it sound a bit muddy to you? Is it too much going on? This one did. Yeah, I'm not sure if this was a, I couldn't tell what studio this was at. But yeah, it did, maybe just the nature of the tune, it felt like it could have had like a distorted keyboard kind of thing, like a one foot out the door type thing too. It could have had some synth stuff happening. I don't know if it does, but it might have fit in there and made it money here. <laughs> if you went through something else, but yeah, it was uh, not as clear as the other ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Steven, your thoughts about uh, this song where Dave's basically just talking his way through it? So here's what I'll say about Honey Baby, Sweetie Doll. I love the title. I think the title is hilarious. I don't love this song. I think it's really super progressive. And certain parts of this song remind me of Out of Love, 
where it's like, dang, 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 dang. Yeah, totally. Yeah, just it reminds me a little bit of that. And I just, I don't like the chord progression in it, man. The chord progression is just doesn't sound pleasing to my ear. And I don't like the melody. And it's just kind of, it's just kind of meh to me, this tune, if I'm being honest. That's a good way to put it. It has kind of messy and a little bit muddy compared to the rest of the record. Yeah, for sure. So the ninth song, another new tune, The Trouble with Never. Phil, I thought I liked the song. I thought what was missing, I wish there were some like Dave ad libs. Like it needed a little swagger and it would have been so much better. This would have been a good one for that. Yeah, I love it. The chorus is great. Uh, this could have used a little bit more zazz, a little bit more personality from Dave. I, I agree. But he yeah, sings and- it well. I like all the, you know, I like this one a lot. It feels good. It's a happy Van Halen tune, you know, yeah. like a blood and fire kind of, kind of feel, you know. And then Steven, he's talking about a twiddle dumb and twiddle dumber. I figured he was talking about you. So your comments? <laughs> no. And if, if he was, he didn't pay me uh, any royalties on that. So I'm a little pissed about it. But listen, this is one of the tunes I really uh, like. This song feels good to me. I love the chorus. Uh, I love the background vocals on the chorus. And I just, I love the line. You often wonder, you want to know, how deep does that rabbit hole go? I know you never thought about it, but ask yourself later, when you turn on your stereo does it return the favor i gotta know i love that man i absolutely love it The 10th song, Out of Space, Phil. Unchained Part 2? Like, it's coming from the same time frame, right? It's Let's Get Rockin'. There was a, it was a tune from the one of my, my favorite song from those demos. It's a song called Let's Get Rockin', and it is Let's Get Rockin'. This is the one I got most excited about when I heard that they used a riff from that one. I think it's pretty much the same. Uh, and, you know, they got to, I guess you can't really call a song Let's Get Rockin' anymore. 
But yeah, it's kind of cool. The, the, the lyrics, uh, the lyric idea is cool. You know, from outer space. Hey, we're out of space. Go home. We don't have any room for you. You know, aliens come here and we got no room for them. I love this one just because it's let's get rocking. The guitar riff is fantastic. I love the solo. I love everything about this one. Stephen, one thing that Dave does in his lyrics is he'll talk about like politics and society, but he does it in a fun way. It doesn't seem like he really chooses a side, which I think is cool. What do you think about that? Who the hell knows what Dave's talking about half the time? <laughs> I read some of the lyrics on Out of the Space, and I swear at one point in time, he was talking about the Amazon distribution center. There's something he says something about, I don't know. 80 feet of one-stop shopping or something or 800 yards of one-stop shopping. I, I don't know. I swear he was talking about the Amazon uh, distribution center. I don't know what he was talking about. But yeah, look, Dave is a lyrical genius. Kanye West got nothing on this guy. <laughs> so half the time, I can't tell what Dave's talking about, but half the time when I hear what he's saying, I really like it. Out of space, I dig it. I mean, two minutes and 53 seconds, like uh, Phil said, it's off the Warner Brother demos. Let's get rocking. I yeah, I dig it. It's uh, it's a good tune. All right. So number eleven, Stay Frosty, new tune. I will tell you when it started up. The first time I heard it, I hit stop. I'm like, oh my god, are you guys going to try to do Ice Cream Man too? Because I absolutely love that song. Mm-hmm. So do not fuck it up. And I thought they did all right. Phil, were you okay that it kind of sounded the same? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was definitely Ice Cream Man. You know, it was even, you know, had the kind of the name, Stay Frosty. You know, yeah. I, I, I like the throwback of it. Definitely increases, you know, this is just, you know, it's a blue shuffle. And Van Halen always had some blue shuffles on all their all their records. Either, you know, super hyper ones like I'm the One or, you know, you know, slower tempo ones. Yeah, I liked it a lot. The vocals, you cannot sing that as a human. It just goes by so quickly. Oh, like, yeah. You know, he punched every single word of that. It's like, there's no <laughs> way a human can sing that much and not take a breath, you know. But I was like, I was always kind of hoping that, but you can't because you can't sing that live. 
But I was yeah. kind of hoping that this would maybe go in in place of Ice Cream Man for some shows, some of the shows off this tour. It's like, well, maybe they'll throw this in instead. But you, you can't do it. <laughs> but yeah, I liked it a lot. It, it felt like, you know, blues, you know, swinging Van Halen. What the preacher said, he said, I'm strong to box with God, learn these words instead. Go to the reflecting, my advice is free. There's a trick to Christian values, and it's compulsory. Stay frosty, that's what the preacher man said. Stay frosty, his words still bracket in my head. Can't control your future, can't control your friends in a world without end. Stay frosty. Even some of our friends hate that. Uh huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I, I really like that melody. I thought it was cool bridge to getting kind of plugged in. 
Yeah. You like this song? I love this song. So one of the things I absolutely love about Ice Cream Man is the ridiculous blazing solo that's in Ice Cream Man. And Eddie does not disappoint and stay frosty. He lets loose and it's fantastic. I like the phrase stay frosty. Like that has become a phrase for a lot of people now. It's just kind of like take a chill pill and relax. Right. So I, I like the overall theme of the song. I, I like the feel. It's fun. How do you not smile with a song like this? I, I dig it. Yeah, completely. If you're going to be a monk, you got to cook a lot of rice. Stay frosty. <laughs> yes, that is freaking great, man. Yeah, he's got a lot. There's a lot of words in there, and you got to read them all. And, but there's some really, really, really smart stuff in there, really good stuff. Dave, just, you may not know what he's talking about half the time, but it sounds cool, and it's just like, you know, there's some smart stuff. Yeah, uh, because you brought it up, Phil, let's talk about this real quick. Like, I, I do understand that when you're recording, the recording has to live forever. So it's got to be perfect and it's got to be the way you want because reality is you might do that song live 55 times in your whole life, but the song's got to live forever. And Eddie doesn't do a lot of this, but like the George Lynch's of the world that play two, three, four double parts, but there's only going to be one guitar out there or this punching that obviously he did on this song. Like, do you ever even think about the live aspect at that point or just put the, what you can and make it sound the best you can on record? I think they were doing that at this point. They probably were. They probably did the record and then got it done and then went, okay, which ones are we going to try to do? Yeah. You know, and I know, I know that as is, they would play it sound check without Dave, just the Van Halen's would play that one. So he wouldn't do it, but yeah, I don't even know if they tried to do the, um, stay frosty at all. But yeah. You yeah. Really, you can't do that one. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have like three guys staggered and knowing where they're coming in, you know? All right. So the 12th, song on the album big river i remember at this point i'm thinking really we got two more songs left i really like this song though so it's uh the old i guess it was a song called big trouble how close is it to the original film really close even uh the big river is big trouble and it's like they even didn't oh. come back the same yeah so um i think all the lyrics are different but yeah all these are pretty much they kept them kind of true to the demos but I really yeah. like this one. I liked Big Trouble, too, um, as the demo. So it was pretty cool to hear that guitar riff in this one.
Steven, did you like that there was 13 songs on here and they just kind of threw everything on here? Because Big River, uh, I wouldn't want it cut, I guess. I'll be honest, I kind of am partial to the latter part of this record. I thought this record was kind of long for them, even though, I mean, it's what, what did I say? 52 minutes long, 50 minutes long. So it's really not that long of a record and listening to it these past few days from start to finish, it goes by pretty quick. I love Big River. That's uh, one of those old school Van Halen sounding songs. Yeah, I mean, it is fairly close to Big Trouble. So this is the first one they put out of the digital age. So they always had time constraints before. Yeah. So, I mean, 50 minutes still isn't that long for a record, but I probably Van Halen 3 was released in the CD days. So, you know, that might have been a little shorter, but. A lot of the Hagar Van Halen records are much longer. I mean, the Dave Van Halen records were 30 minutes and done, but all the Van Hagar records, I think, were close to 50 minutes or longer. 45 or 50, yeah. Yeah, there was one in there that we did that was definitely close to an hour. Which one was that, Sonny? I can't remember now, but it was one of the ones we reviewed. Yeah, OU812 is closer to an hour, and that's just because you got the CD, right? So, yeah. But, you know, if you're only going to release... You're going to release one in 898 in his CDs, and then you're going to release the next one in 2012 is streaming. By the time you release the next one, is NFTs. Right. So yeah. if you only, only release it every 14 <laughs> years, it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So then the last song, Beats Working. Sounds like it was a redone demo that was called Put Out the Lights. Phil, I think this is a great album closer. What do you think? I, I do too. It's a really, really, really great. If that's the last statement from the last thing we're ever going to hear of Van Halen, it's like, I, that's a good tune. I like yeah. it a lot. Yeah, Stephen, it's got a pretty grooving riff, and it really is DLR Van Halen, no doubt. I like it, and like Phil said, if this is the last thing you hear, I like the overall message. Beats working, right? That's a concept. I love that because, I mean, you know, barring archive stuff and stuff that's dug out of the vaults and and finished and et cetera, et cetera. This is it. I mean, this is the last Van Halen record. This is the last thing you're going to hear from Van Halen as a band. It's a, a double meaning name, like out of space, you know, beats working, you know, two meanings. And um, yeah, I, I always thought when I would hear the demo, I wondered if that was one of the ones they kind of wrote when they were kind of talking to Gene, because it kind of is Kiss sounding. Eh, 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 that kind of thing. Always yeah. kind of, I, I could hear Kiss kind of doing that, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. The verse is like DOA. It has that that same uh, progression as DOA does from Van Halen too. The A to F sharp thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
Right, so we had 13 songs six of them were new so i don't know why people are bitching these are all old stuff because the six of them are brand new yeah so we're going to talk about our top two bottom two phil what are your two favorites and what are two that uh, maybe you don't listen to as much probably out of space and she's the woman are my two favorite ones if i had to pick two ones i don't dig as much i'd probably go with tattoo and honey baby sweetie doll yeah if i had to that would be my by four steven how about you I think my two favorites on this record are going to be She's the Woman and kind of a toss-up between Trouble with Never and Stay Frosty. And my least two favorite songs on this record are going to be Honey Baby, Sweetie Doll. And Chinatown just doesn't, I don't know, it, it sounds funky to my ears. So it's a little bit weird with the progression, but that's probably one that uh, I can do without. It never fails. So for me, top two, She's the Woman. And Chinatown, because I love that song. I would took 13 of those right now. And bottom two, Honey Baby Sweetie Doll. There's something that's funky there. And I didn't enjoy you and your blues. Like, I didn't enjoy that one at all. Did you guys see this tour live? Because I was thinking about going. They played the Oakland Coliseum. Cool and the Gang opened. I love Cool and the Gang. But the tickets were like 1200 bucks to sit in the parking lot. It was ridiculous. I saw it twice. I saw the first night in Louisville, Kentucky. And then I saw it. Nashville. And in Nashville, I had really, really good seats. It was the closest I've ever been to Van Halen. Did you remember it being super expensive? Because some, for some reason, it was really expensive here. I don't. In Louisville, we had upper, we had like lower bowl seats on the side, on Ed's side. Yeah. Kind of the same place that we were for the reunion show that we saw. I can't think of the, the ones up close were expensive in Nashville. Yeah. It was, you know, that was like, I was like fifth or sixth row on Ed's yeah. side. I don't recall the Louisville one being that much more expensive than tickets around that time. Steven, did you see this tour? So I didn't see this tour. My show, Cool and the Gang, did open, but my recollection was that I saw them in 2008 when they got back together with Dave because they weren't playing any of this new stuff. So this record wasn't out yet when I saw them. I saw them in 2008, 2009, somewhere around there. Cool and the Gang opened. And we sat in the lower part of the arena in the almost uh, straight back. And I bought tickets from some guy off of uh, Craigslist for, I want to say, like 75 bucks a piece. I bought two tickets because he couldn't go. So that's that's what I paid, I think. And me and Jennifer went. Cool, cool. All right. So, you know, we always try to connect this to Kiss. You wanted the best, but you got the best. The hottest band in the world. Kiss! It's time for your historic moment on Growing Up Rock. For the historic moment, Kiss released a new album in 2012 called Monster, 12 tracks, and it might be their last. It's not exactly a Kiss Army favorite. I like about half of it. And here's one of the tracks that I like, written by Paul and Tommy. 
with Paul on vocals. Here's a deeper type cut called Shout Mercy.
so I like uh, Monster and Sonic Boom. I don't have a problem with either one of those records. I know a lot of the Kiss Army doesn't like them for whatever reason, but both those records are okay to me. They both got stuff that I like on them. There's a couple songs on each record that I don't care too much about, but I like Shout Mercy. It's one of the tunes I like off of Monster, so that's my two cents. I think we did Wall of Sound. We played that one with Gene a few times. Wow. I think I think that's off of Monster, I think. Yeah. I yeah. think I like Sonic Boom. I haven't listened to him a lot in a long time. I think I like Sonic Boom a little better. It's like Sonic Boom, it's almost like they were trying to do what Van Halen did. They were trying to like there's a couple songs on Sonic Boom that sound like Dress to Kill. Yeah. Like there's that one of Jeans. It's I it sounds just like like it's like ladies in waiting type. It's like a Dress to Kill song completely. I think I like that one a little bit better for that reason. Yeah, but I gotta have not listened to those records in forever. Where can you find Sonic Boom now besides albums for five hundred dollars? <laughs> That's it. It's not even on Spotify because or, it was that Walmart exclusive. Walmart thing. Is it because I mean maybe YouTube has some clips? But oh yeah, yeah, they got all yeah. kinds of clips on YouTube. But it's just so interesting that two major bands that their last album was in twenty twelve. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize Monster was the same year. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and it's gonna be interesting. We'll see what's in the you know we'll see what's at fifty one fifty. If Wolfie decides he wants to put any of that stuff together, or if he hired hires somebody, an archivist or something, to come in and do something with it, you know, even Eddie has said nobody's going to be able to make any hider here with what's in there. I think right. it'd be fun to try. Uh, we were kind of talking about. I think we've d- discussed it before about if you remember, Natalie Cole came out with something where Nat King Cole sang part of it and they kind of meshed it together. Like if there's pieces of that kind of stuff together, it would be interesting to hear. That's what the Beatles did. Uh, Freeze a Bird and Real Love. It's like a John yeah. Lennon demo, and they went in and recorded around it. Yeah, I'm curious. I can't imagine what a daunting task that would be to go in there because all Eddie did was sit out there and record. Yeah, That's all he did. And all those years when we heard nothing from Van Halen and no news, he was still recording every day out there. I can't imagine what it would take to go through all that stuff and try to make sense of it and then try to go, okay, well, this is going to make the record. That's not – or how many – years it would take to go through all that just incredible as i'm going back and digging into uh different information for these album reviews i've listened to several interviews with eddie where he says he's got 10 albums worth of material and and in fact they had a whole album pretty much done with gary sharon the second album that they scrapped and i think bits and pieces of that ended up on different kind of truth but yeah, I would love for somebody to be able to do that. Yeah, what a hell of a job, man. I just, there's so much material and just where do you start? Where do you stop? You know, it's just, how do you cut it? It's just in- incredible. And you can't really expect Wolfie to do it. Like he's got his own life. He's got to live. He can't be living this same life over and over and over. Exactly. And that would be a year's project, like multi-year in there, listening to that stuff, digging it up. And how painful would that be to sit there for a kid to listen to his, you know, his dad his dad's work and yeah that would just be man it would just be just so daunting yeah and i gotta i gotta tell you as we went through all these songs track by track and you heard us talk about this song was that song what i would tell listeners to do is if you want to know more about the evolution of some of these songs go to youtube and check out this it's called van halen a different kind of truth the genesis 1976 to 1984 again i'll tell you it's called van halen a different kind of truth the genesis 1976 to 1984 it's on youtube and it has a lot of the breakdown of the old demos some of it 
it's live, you know, from 1977 and 76. And you can hear for yourself some of the shit that we've been talking about. It's all in one place. It's a pretty good link to go to. You can hear all the tunes and it's, um, I think there's some live versions in there too. So yeah, it's a pretty cool, useful, link, handy link, very good companion piece of this podcast. That is correct. So let me ask you this, Phil, do you think, I'll ask you as well, Sonny, do you think when they decided to do this album, when they decided to get Dave back in the band and do this album, at that point, Eddie knew that he had tongue cancer. So do you think that all this prodding by Wolfie and all of this was an effort to kind of see what's down the road and, you know, make some sort of final statement because they knew the inevitable was eventually going to come? Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. If I had to guess, I'd probably say no, just because... I know Eddie was, I, I kind of have read and, and about things that he was very positive about all of his treatments and a lot of it was going extremely well. He was having some experimental things done. I did read something last night that it was Wolfgang that suggested to go back to the old songs and old demos and to get that kind of classic thing back. That way, when they were writing stuff, it would be kind of writing in that head space of, you know, classic Van Halen with Dave. And that was kind of, Wolfgang was kind of the ringleader in this whole thing it was none of it would have happened without him and he was kind of the, the guy making giving the ideas and going hey we should do this so the little nudge like hey we should do day we should do a record i think they were just making a good record and i don't know if they thought that far you know nobody lives forever but you know i'm not sure if they were looking that far and, and making it like a final thing or if it was just like let's just you know may have been just like let's make it just a really good record and you know we may make another one who knows right so what do you think sonny yeah and having kids I'm thinking this through a little different. I, I got two different thoughts on it. One is these guys seem like stream of consciousness type guys, right? So I don't know if they're plotting and prodding what's going to happen five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years. They're just kind of doing what's kind of here and now. So that's one thought. But uh, in a totally different kind of coming out of music, like I, I've got four kids. I was teaching them like blackjack when they were four years old. Like they knew how to count to 21 when they were four, right? This is one of the first things they learned. Because I was kind of looking at, I love Vegas, I love gambling, I love playing cards. And when they're 21, I want to be able to do that with them, yeah. right? So here you go where Eddie was probably unbelievably proud of Wolfie. There's no reason not to be proud of Wolfie, that he's become this unbelievable musician and he's got the, he's got the chops and he's following his dream and it just happens to be the same dream I had. And now I finally have a chance, and this kid won't shut up about it anyway, about going and recording something with him. All those things he did for me to make me proud, the least I could do for him is record this fucking record. You know what I mean? And that probably had more to do with it than anything about Dave legacy and all that other shit. Cause really these guys give a shit about legacy. They basically just walked off the face of the planet in 95 yeah. and showed up three times. Yeah. They, they, they were very <laughs> uh, off the cuff and let's just, you know, let's do this and then, and then leave. And yeah, it, it was all Ed getting to play with his son. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I think it was, that was, that was the main, that was the number one thing of all the tours of the four tours that we got with that lineup. That was the reason. Yeah. Uh, and he wanted to do it so bad. And he was so proud of him. You know, you could tell from, you know, he was, he was beaming. They were just beaming at each other the whole time. You know, it was just, uh, it was cool to watch, cool to see. Yeah. And, you know, cool to hear. And we have a, you know, a great record because of it. Yeah, I agree with, uh, with all that for sure. You know what? I heard an interview today. I think, uh, Ed was on Stern or something. He made comment that he invested in a experimental cancer clinic 
with a doctor in Massachusetts or something. I had no idea about this. Like he said, I own this place. And he was getting treatments that at the time were uh, he couldn't talk much about because they were illegal in the U.S. and and stuff like that. And yeah, I, that. I think this interview was done in, I want to say, like 2012, around the time this record came out or something. But I felt like that was really uh, interesting to me because I hadn't heard that before, you know? Yeah. And it was great to see Ed come back so healthy uh, after he was like pretty out of his mind mm -hmm. in like oh four oh five was just terrible it was absolutely heartbreaking for anybody who loved van halen just to see the shape of him it was like i expected him to die then yeah it was so sad it's like oh my god i hope he gets it together and he got so healthy and talk about a comeback like for him to be so healthy and there's the smiles back yeah. you know and he's playing great he's playing just playing his ass off that was so cool and that was again wolfgang yeah that was all because of his son and uh yeah it was um you know, it was a great comeback story for Ed. You know, this whole you know, 2007 and on, you know, was just upward. Yep. Sonny, you got any final thoughts on this record? Uh, no. You know, I, uh, I'm one of those guys that, man, I wish Van Halen would have kept going and we'd have 20 records, 25 records instead of just 12. But, you know, these guys got creative juices. They flow the way they flow. What are you going to do about it? Like, you get what you get. And, album i enjoy a little more than half of it and i don't go back to it often so it was kind of fun to go back and listen to it again uh there were some songs like like the trouble would never i'm like oh man i miss this thing like uh, that's a pretty good song i don't listen too much you know so there was definitely some surprises in there and i can totally imagine that if you are a van halen super fan and you had these demos right that just like when the gene simmons vault came out i was like oh man where's this stuff been you know same thing. I can totally understand why people were all excited about this. Phil, any final thoughts on this album? Uh, I will say that if you've only heard the digital version, please check out a CD mix or the album mix because they definitely do sound loads better than the digital mix. They all sound different, too. It's, it's really wild. But yeah, you need to check out a CD. Get a hard copy. Get a tangible copy. Well, I think if this is the final statement from Van Halen, it's okay with me. They ended on a pretty decent note, and I'm all right with that because uh, uh, I never really thought we would get this record to begin with, uh, with Dave back on it. And sure, it's selfish of me. I wish Mikey was part of it, but uh, it's okay. It's still a good record in my eyes, so I appreciate that. Phil Schaus, thanks so much for being a part of this, my friend. Guys, thanks for asking me. I will talk about Van Halen any time. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for including me in your uh, in your uh, in, in this uh, project yeah it's been a fun project and uh it is the end of the year as you're listening to this and it is the last studio album but uh sunny and i are going to do another episode where we're going to rank all the van halen records and everybody that took part in all these 12 records over the course of this year have ranked their van halen records and we're going to share all of that with everybody, including some of the listeners. So it should be a fun episode. And that's how we're going to end this entire year is by doing this episode. And that'll be really fun to go through it and just kind of put a, a capper on the whole project for, uh, for the Van Halen year. And, uh, it's been fun. It's been good. You can see Phil Schaus out on the road with except or with Ace Fraley occasionally the rock and roll residency. Are you guys going to do a Christmas kiss thing this year? No, those are, those are, uh, I will, uh, Hey, I'm 
46 and I'm not in shape anymore to do a three hour <laughs> show with Paul Stanley anymore. I'd have to start training last year for that. So yeah, I think those are probably, uh, probably done. Those are a lot of work and I can't do that stuff anymore. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, anything else we need to, uh, plug for you? Mud merch. Absolutely. It's Christmas time. Go, please go check out my um, website, Mutt Merch, M-U-T-T-M-E-R-C-H. It's dog and music themed products for you and your dog. I make t-shirts. You can get um, Black Labbath, Aerosniff, Muttley Chew, Grateful Dane, Neuterhead. So yeah, please check it out. I'm going to have some good Christmas sales happening. So uh, they make fantastic gifts and stocking stuffers. My wife still wears her Bones and Noses shirt. She loves that shirt so much fantastic that's that's awesome thank, please thank her for me i love the support and you know i'll give you a little tip probably i shouldn't give you this tip because probably gonna cost me a bunch of money if i do give you this tip but you know if you if you start making something for cats my wife probably would buy you out <laughs> you know the shirts do fit cats but it, it's up to you to get the shirt on the cat yeah that doesn't work with our cats <laughs> It will work. Ryan and Jeannie got, I think, a couple, and it worked. They actually got them on, but I'm not sure how long they stayed. Cats uh, don't dig clothing as well as some dogs do, so that's up to the buyer. Buyer beware. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. That's a disappointment of mine uh, for having cats because I would love to dress up my cats in some rock T-shirts. That would be kick-ass. But yeah, absolutely. Buyer, dog owners, cat owners, I'll sell to anybody. <laughs> All right. Sonny, you have anything to add before we get up on out of here? Uh, Phil, always a good time, man. Absolutely, guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Good to, good to see you and talk to you both. Cheers, fellas. And we are out of here. See ya. Later. Get ready to shuffle, rattle, and roll. Play us out, boys. got a rock and roll story to tell and we want to hear yours so go to our website at growinguprock.com that's one word 
G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K dot com. Or visit us on our Facebook page at Growing Up Rock and tell us all about it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.